Hey team of Eternal Optimists, it's Matt Drinkon here. And before we launch into today's epic conversation, I've got a big announcement. Drum roll, please. My brand new book is coming out on March 8th. And perhaps even better news, you can get it for only 99 cents on Amazon that day. We don't run ads on the show. And if you ever want to give back and support the Eternal Optimist community, go to Amazon on March 8th and get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. Now, let's get to the show. Hello, and welcome to Eternal Optimist Podcast. My name is Matt Drenkon, and I am a professional gold medalist when it comes to Legends Golf in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. My daughter gave me a gold medal when we had a golf competition, the four of us, and all it took, the price of this gold medal, was about $14, okay? Well, I share that with you today, team, because the price of winning an Olympic gold medal is felt over many, many years. The mental commitment to get there, the physical repetitions of being able to put in the work, that's what it takes to win a gold medal. And on today's show, we have a three-time Olympic gold medalist, Laura Wilkinson, who's gonna share with us her story. And it's amazing. Starting with when she was 13 years old, she made the commitment that I'm not going to do gymnastics anymore because I don't feel I'll achieve my goals that way. So she went over to diving, where the first thing she heard from the coach is you are a waste of space, literally a waste of space and you don't belong on this team. And one of the learning lessons that I learned from her is that she shared a person could have shut her down, but she chose to find another person that could bring her back and believe in her. She has honed in so much of what she's wanted throughout her career, and she's found a way to get there almost every time. When trying to get there, she's incredibly focused, and she shares her insights on how she gained that focus. Jump along a little further on the line here. Once we go through some of her challenges, Laura, she's amazing. She retires from diving, starts a family, and over time develops a chronic neck condition, a challenge where she requires surgery. And in that time when she had surgery, at the ripe young age of 39, it was supposed to be a long recovery and she's not supposed to be able to dive again. What she does is she makes a full recovery quicker than expected and she goes back to the peak of United States diving glory and gets one step away at that age from almost making the Olympics again. She's an inspiration. Now, when she took some time from her surgery, she worked on some coursework. She's done some great deep work where now she can lead people and coach people. And she's gonna tell us all about that today. I was captivated in this conversation, which by the way, uh, was shut down a couple of times because of internet. So with resilience and grit at the forefront, Laura and I, we actually buckled through this. We made it through. It took two recordings to get this done. And I bring it to you today, team, because Laura Wilkinson is amazing. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Feel free to reach out to Laura or myself at any time because we're open to that. Hello, and welcome to the Eternal Optimist Podcast, the show for optimists by optimists. This is the show for people who see the good in the world and want to make a positive difference in the lives of their families and communities. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories that will get you thinking bigger and playing more offense in life. With your host and high-performance coach, Matt Drinkon. 
Our guest today needs no introduction. I would love to invite her and welcome her to the stage today. Olympic gold medalist and mother of four, an amazing, amazing uh, free interviewer. We've had a good conversation for a few minutes. Laura, welcome today. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited. Excellent. Well, a lot of privilege and pleasure over here to be interviewing you today and chatting with you because my kids this morning, when we pulled out the YouTube, they uh, loved what they saw. And thank you for sharing the gold medal a minute ago with my daughter. She was fired up about that. I'm sure she's going to tell me all about it a little later. So thank you. I'd love to dive straight into the, the deep water if we shall, pardon the pun. Let's go into some challenges, shall we? I'd love to start with what is something in your past that was challenging for you? Let's start with that. I've had a lot of challenging things like most people. I think for me, a big challenge growing up was when I quit gymnastics because that had been my dream since I was little. I saw Mary Lou Retton do her perfect 10 landing and get a gold medal. And I wanted that to be me. But at 13, I was very logical and very realistic. And I understood that like I was not at the level I needed to be at to be that kind of gymnast and to get to the Olympic Games. I didn't have that kind of ability. And that was a really hard realization. But I had this desperate dream of still wanting to go to the Olympics and be on top of the podium, but I had spent my whole life thus far in gymnastics. And so searching for something else, trying to find that right fit, convinced somewhere in the back of my brain that it wasn't too late that I could still find this. For a young kid, that was a really challenging time. And then I finally found a sport, diving, it was like gymnastics into the water, right? It seemed like this perfect fit, but then my high school coach kicked me off the team for being a waste of space. And I was told going into that, I was too old to start a new sport. I was told all these things right at the beginning after all that challenge. So when you're told that from authority figures, people you're supposed to listen to and do as you're told, and they're telling you you're worthless, you shouldn't be here, you're too old, you're whatever, you know, that's really hard to take. And I'm really glad that I did have some people in my life to combat. They were like, no, you can do things, you can do hard things, you can try, you can always try. And so to have good people in your corner is something I learned really early and, you know, allow those people who didn't believe in you to kind of light a fire inside you. I mean, wow. Literally, you were told you were a waste of space and you couldn't. Do that must have been devastating to hear that as a teenager when you were switching sports. How did you cope with that in that day? If you could take us to that moment, that sounds incredibly <laughs> tough. Well, I mean, I had had kind of run-ins with this coach. He was the swim coach and he didn't like divers because we took up a lane of his pool. And so he didn't like the fact that I was there. And so we were already kind of butting heads a little bit. I wasn't a bad kid, but I was being threatened that like, if I stayed, he was going to lower my grade, um, all these things. And my mom was furious, but nobody at the high school helped us. And so like, that was really frustrating and defeating. Even my mom couldn't make headway. But my club coach at the time, he was like, don't listen to that guy. He's an idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Like, if you have big dreams and big goals, I'm going to help you get there. And so just one person believing that, no, I am worthy changed everything. All these people saying I couldn't do it, but one person saying, no, you can, it made all the difference in the world. It makes me really think about things that we say to children now as I'm an adult, like what's coming out of my mouth and how is that impacting them? And I want to make sure I'm that that one person that believes in them and I'm not shutting them down because I have doubts or I don't think they're able to. And it's really showed me that just because someone has an opinion doesn't make it a fact, you know, just because somebody has doubts about you doesn't define you or your ability to do something. I mean, I love that. Uh, you, you've got one person that tells you, no, you can't do it, really demeaning, negative. And a lot of people would stop at that and they would take that as, yeah, I'm not enough. And you had the support system with you and another coach believed in you. And I think there's a lot of wisdom to that, that don't just listen to that first person. There's someone that could be your champion, that could be your voice of affirmation, your, you can do it. So I love that you shared that. I'd love to continue on the journey. What happened next? 
once you started with your club coach, you started diving, please bring us forward. I was really fortunate. I started at a cool time a few months after a whole group of ex-gymnasts had also found diving. So I was thrown into this group of ex-gymnasts. So we all had a similar background. We were all learning at the same time, but we were picking things up really quickly because we already had that flipping and that air awareness. We knew how to twist. We knew how to get around a couple of times. We knew how to get in tight positions. We were flexible. We had all the qualities. And so learning that with this group and going through all the ups and downs of that together, I think we really pushed each other. And it was a really healthy situation. It wasn't, you know, a lot of that as teenage girls can get where there's that cat fighting and that infighting and pushing each other down. Like we were competitive, but yet very supportive of each other because we were all going through it together. Like I remember distinctly, and I just had my friend on my podcast talking about this. She is now the president of business operations for the Rockets and NBA team here in Houston. Um, But she was my teammate back then. And I was like, you know, it's really funny. I remember this moment when we were both learning a platform dive and she went first and she just ate it on her face. And I laughed so hard. I was like, that was terrible. Like, what are you doing? I can't believe you did that. And then I walked up there and did the exact same thing and just ate it. (laughs) You know, it was so funny to like walk through that with this group of girls that have now gone on to become these amazing women in so many different fields. And so I love that you can go through this little, like, we called it trauma bonding, like when you learn platformer. So you go through something hard with that group of people and it just bonds you for life in that way. So we got really good, really fast. And I made the national team and my first World Cup event within two years. And I got bronze at World Cup. It was the first time synchronized diving was ever in a world event. It's where two people go off the platform at the same time doing the same dives. And that was a really amazing experience and kind of doing that alongside a partner helped me get confident for my individual diving because I was still very new to platform. And so within a year from that, you know, I was, yeah, qualifying for all kinds of international events, earned a college scholarship to University of Texas. And yeah, it kind of just snowballed from there. <laughs> wow. Well, amazing. And I'll come back to that trauma bonding. I love that framework. Yeah, we have all been through some stuff with some people. So love that you referenced that. So now we're on the World Cup, we're on to starting to just go to the highest of levels. Was there ever any place in you that was imposter syndrome or I'm not going to be able to do this? Was there ever a self-doubt that you had to quell in some way? Not at the beginning, honestly. I think I was so gung-ho and so trying to get there that I just didn't really have time to think about I'm not this person. I can't be this person. I was just so intent that I was that person. I had this kind of foolish belief that I was going to be. I don't think it was until actually I started having success that imposter syndrome started creeping up, which is really interesting to me. I feel like that has happened in my life outside of diving as well. It's not until I'm actually good at something that then I start to doubt myself. Am I really supposed to do this? Am I really good at this? Can I really do more? So I don't think I've ever been asked that question, but I know very clearly that that happened after I began to have success. Is that Mm. weird? Mm. (laughs) Oh, no, I don't think it's weird at all. I think it happens to many of us. We get so honed in on what we want that once we finally get there or we get something, then can we keep it up? And it happens at different levels, different plateaus. And yours just happened to, you know, you were already at that high level when it happened. I think that's true of a lot of people. I remember um, listening to a podcast or watching Netflix documentary or no, Amazon. I watched on Amazon Free Solo, that movie, that Alex Honnold and the climbing. And people are asking him about what distracts him. And do you think about these challenges and possibly he's like, no, I'm just up there and I'm doing what I do. And that sounds like what you just described. And it wasn't until later that you started to think about it where that set in. You get the view of that mountaintop view and you're like, wow, this is great. 
How do I stay up here? How do I get to the next peak? Then you start wondering, like, was it a fluke? You know, you start asking those questions too. Like, did I really earn this? Was it an accident? It's funny, the doubts that creep in, but I guess because your attention shifts, right? When you're trying to get there, you're so full force into this mindset and momentum to get you there. Once you get there, that shifts becomes like some people go into meets too, like they've done really well. Or, and I felt this, I guess the first time I won like a preliminary round and I'm going into the finals and there's suddenly this pressure because you're used to being the underdog and chasing people. But suddenly when you have the lead, you get into this scared mindset of like, I don't want to lose the lead. When in reality, you can't lose it. You still have to go out and win. Like nobody's won yet. You still have to go out and win again. But it's like, it's weird how your mind can play those tricks on you. And it shouldn't change, but it does, you know, because it's a different perspective that you've never seen before. Yeah. Well, I wonder what learning lessons that we might learn from an Olympic champion who has been to that place and then started to see some of those doubts. I mean, what might be some mindset or just, I just start with learning. Is there anything you've learned there that may be able to serve us? Oh yeah. Well, I think the biggest way out of that is to keep setting goals and to keep reaching for something more. So after I won the Olympics, it was like, well, what now? Cause I'm not done diving, but like, I just did everything I'd ever dreamed of since I was an eight year old kid. Like, so what's left. But to me, it became a challenge of, yeah, I want to win gold again, but I also want to raise my degree of difficulty. And I wanted to find out how far I could push myself. How good could I be for myself? Not for medals, but like how hard of dives can I do for the highest scores? Like how far can I push that envelope and really see what I'm capable of? And that kind of really became And it took me a while to figure that out. Like I had other goals for meets and things along the way, but really pushing that envelope is what kind of drove me through the next two Olympic games. And, you know, in 2008, I was doing dives that only a handful of men were doing and no other women were doing the complete list of dives that I was doing. And after 2008, the degree of difficulty for women dropped back off. And everybody like went back down and started doing these way easier dives. And I mean, I came back after a 10 year retirement to dive again, and I could do my list from 2004 and it was still more competitive than what a lot of the girls were doing. So it's really interesting to see when you, when you push yourself, you're trying to pave your own path. But what you don't realize is you're making this path for all these other people to follow in your footsteps. And people were doing that. They were trying to keep up. They were trying to follow me. And then when I was done... They were like, well, I don't know what to do now. <laughs> they kind of like, they weren't sure how to make their own way. So it's really interesting mm-hmm. looking back on that and what you do actually impacts other people, even when you're not aware of it. Yeah. Well, for you, specifically for you, you're top of your game. Spotlight's always on you. All the competitors are looking at you and want to be you. So in addition to the pressure that the spotlight and the media have on you, you put it on yourself. So there's all of this to deal with. And then there's everything else in life. So I'm curious, what was challenging for you in that time? When you were reigning Olympic gold medal champion, what was hard there? Anything in life that was challenging for you? What was that for you, Laura? It was the pressure I put on myself. I mean, because you can have all the pressure in the world from every other source, but really it's what you take. You don't have to agree again with anybody else's ideas for you. You take those things on yourself. Instead of having certain goals, sometimes I had expectations. And I think there's a difference there that we have to be cautious of. I like to tell people, it's great to have these goals, but your expectations aren't that end result because expectations are more like there's a feeling that's associated with it, right? Like you get this feeling when you're on the top of the podium, a feeling when people are so excited for you and you have that feeling and then you expect it the next time, but it doesn't quite hit you the same way. It's not enough. You know what I mean? Like my first opening ceremonies at the Olympic games was so amazing. And I was blown away. But by my third one, I was like, I mean, this is cool, but it didn't have the drama for me. It wasn't as wow. I was just like, 
been there, you know, and it's really sad to say that. But when you've done it so many times, it can lose that kind of luster a little bit. So when we have expectations on ourselves, we want things to go a certain way, or we want to feel a certain way, we want people to feel a certain way about us, we're always going to be disappointed. So I like to be very goal oriented. And my expectations are the integrity with which I shoot after those goals that I will show up every day, I will give everything I've got, I'm not just going to say I'm going to try hard, I'm literally going to give everything I have, I will do all the things. So it's more of my expectations are how I am working my plan out to achieve my goal. It's kind of a hard distinction sometimes for people to make, but I think it's really good to be aware of because the expectations, when you put those on your goals, it becomes really, you get distracted from it and you're not really looking at your goals anymore. You're trying to look for that feeling. I'm curious, uh, what might be something that an Olympic gold medal athlete goes through at the Olympics that would be surprising or shocking or amazing to someone who has no idea what's actually happening in the 24 hours or the 48 hours leading up to your first event. And what's happening that we wouldn't know about that would shock us? I'm curious. It would shock you? I don't know that anything's really shocking. Again, it's like, and it's the intensity that you put on yourself mm-hmm. or don't put on yourself, but it's the realization that there's a culmination of four, eight, 10 years more that you have been working for this one moment. And like diving, one dive lasts about two seconds. And so an entire list of dives, like eight or 10 dives is going to be, you know, you're like 15 seconds of performing, you know, your whole life is culminating to these tiny little moments. And that can be a lot of weight. But at the same time, when you know why you're doing it, it kind of takes some of that weight off and you're focused more on that why, you know, and I think having a why is really Mm. important. That's what gets you out of bed in the morning when you don't want to be there. It's what pushes you through when you're in pain or you're not sure if you can make it. It gives you that extra bit of courage because it's not always just about yourself or your, your end goal. But yeah, there's an intensity there that's like no other for sure. But then after there's also a drop. And a lot of people don't see that, but there's a depression that a lot of athletes go through after an Olympic Games, whether you did well or not. Like I said, it's Mm -hmm. all these years of work and dedication and determination and intensity on this one moment and good, bad, or indifferent how you do, it's over. And so there's this drop of adrenaline and what do you do with that? And who am I? And, And so it's just the weirdest thing. I've had great Olympics. I've had terrible Olympics, but I always had that little slump after we would call it like the post Olympic blues, you know? And so trying to figure out and walk that out is really tough. And a lot of athletes don't talk about it. So some don't know that it's coming. So it's really good for people who've been through that to kind of give a heads up to that next generation coming that like, it's okay to feel this way. It's okay to feel all the feels afterward. It's just a letdown period and you will move past it, but it hits some people right away. Some people have like a honeymoon period of six months and then it hits. And so, yeah, it's kind of a wild ride. Hmm. How did you deal with it the, uh, the most recent time after your most recent Olympics? So 2008 was my last Olympics and that did not end well. I was kind of injured in the finals. And so I think I was eighth or ninth and that was disappointing. And that was the end of my career too. There was a lot of just, oh, that sucked. (laughs) That's not how you want to go out. You want to go out in the blaze of glory. You want to go out on top. And so to have that kind of culmination at the end, that was a real big letdown. And we were ready to move on and start a family. We'd been married about six years at that point. And I was 30 years old. I was like kind of ready to move on. Okay, it's time to be a mom. And that wasn't happening either. So I was very lost for a while and trying to rectify the end of that and not being able to begin something else. And so there was a long period where I was just trying to figure out who I was without the sport, without being a mom. Like it was a tough, tough journey, but it it helped me looking back, realizing that, okay, I didn't get a gold medal in Beijing like I'd wanted to. 
but my goals were to push myself and find out how hard of dives I could do to the very best of my ability. And at the trials, just a month before the Olympic Games, I had done the hardest list of dives a woman's ever done. And I did almost every single dive in my list for tens and went this huge score that would have probably been on top of the podium at the games. And so it stinks. It didn't happen at the right moment, but I can feel a lot of completion and satisfaction that I pushed the absolute limit and did things that people didn't think I was capable of. And I did it well. And I always will have that. And that felt really good. And so not to justify a bad ending, but to find satisfaction within what I was able to accomplish. Because, you know, we always have to shoot for big goals, but you're not going to hit them all, you know, but it doesn't mean the pursuit wasn't worth it. Absolutely. Today's sponsor of the Eternal Optimist podcast is the Eternal Optimist podcast. So today, team, I encourage you to stop what you're doing. If you're not driving right now, that is, stop what you're doing and go over and give a follow to the Eternal Optimist podcast on any of the platforms you're listening. You can also find us on social media, Instagram at Eternal Optimist podcast, and the same at Facebook, Eternal Optimist podcast page. We are here to impact the world one listener at a time to show that you can have hope. You can do it too. You can overcome the greatest challenges. Others are sharing that here. Please feel free if there's one person in your life who has some challenges they're overcoming, enduring, please forward to them. If there's one person out there that has a great attitude, who's into growth, into development, you know, forward it to them as well. Forward it to everyone, in fact, because this is going to ignite the world and save us, my friends, the power of positive thinking and attitude. Thanks so much for listening. Now back to the show. I love the way you had the ability to look back and appreciate that. You know, I got the satisfaction. I gave my best. I did the hardest list of dives and got tens going into the Olympics. So I love that you can appreciate the journey. What other maybe learning lessons or aha moments might we have your career that now we'll start to segue, but what other learning lessons can you take away from that last section of your diving career as you move into uh, motherhood? Well, I think that sports is just such a great metaphor for life. You know, it's very, sports are very black and white. There's the rules and this is how it goes and this is how you win or how you lose. And life is just lots of gray. You know, it's all kind of mixed in there. And so I feel like the lessons that I learned in the pool and in my sport have been so helpful for me outside of the pool. And I love talking to people about what I've learned in the pool because it helps me navigate life outside of the pool. And, you know, I've got kids now that are starting sports and talking to them about the attitude with which they walk into it and how they handle themselves and what it is to be a leader and when to speak up, when not to, like learning how to do those things and teaching my child. And this is great in sport, honey, but this is also how you operate in the classroom. This is also how you operate with your friends. Like you don't need to be disrespectful to your friends either. You have to value them and treat them well because they're kind of like your teammates. They're there for you. You want them to be there for you. You need to be that way for them also. So yes, I love the parallels from sport into life. And I mean, there's so many lessons. I don't know how I just pick one. <laughs> I know you have four children. Is that correct? Four kids now. Well, I'd say what brings you the most joy about motherhood? And then what's the most challenging? So start with joy. What brings you the most joy about being a parent? It's just so cool to watch them all be their own little person. And as much as I want to take care of them and do all these things for them, like watching them grow and learn how to do it on their own and navigate. And they all 
have their own opinions of how they should do things. But I just love seeing all their little personalities come to life and what they gravitate toward. It's just really cool. And, and even just the pairings, like who's friends this week, like which of the four are pairing off this week, and then they'll switch the next week. And it's whatever they're going through, whatever they're into, you know, they kind of pair off. It's just really cool to see them play together and learn to love each other and learn to handle arguments. It's fun to watch them grow. And every stage, you're like, I don't want you to ever grow up. You're so cute just the way you are. But then they grow up and they do these really cool things. And I'm like, okay, just stay right here. Like, this is really fun and really cool. Don't ever grow up. Then they grow a little more. And it's just every stage is cool and full of new adventure, you know? Oh, thank you for sharing that. Your body language, your energy there, just amazing. And it's got me lit up like a Christmas tree. Just a big old smile over here. So thank you for sharing that. What's hard about parenting for you right now, Laura? Everything. (laughs) 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 Parenting is hard. It's like learning on the job kind of gig, right? Like I like the black and white. I want to read a book and I want to know how to do all the things and then it just works. And that's not how parenting is. And that was so hard for me. I remember asking a friend, when one of my kids was young and I was probably over like nap schedules or something so, so simple like mm-hmm. that. And I was going crazy because I couldn't get my oldest to nap because she's still not a napper. But I was asking my friends, like, how do I navigate this? And one of my good friends and an old teammate was like, Laura, sometimes you just got to try a couple different things and see what works and what does it. And I was like, don't tell me that. I just want you to tell me what works, <laughs> you know, and, and learning that like each kid. So you think you've got two kids and this worked great and you think you've got it down. Then kid number three comes along and none of those tricks work for that kid. So you got to find out a whole new set of tools, you know? And so it's challenging in that way, but I've grown to really love that too. But it's also hard sometimes when you feel like maybe you snap at somebody because you're not in a good mood and you feel really bad because you were too hard on them, but then learning how to apologize to them and say, look, what you did was not right, but mommy overreacted. And I'm really sorry I yelled at you. But like, how do we both get better next time and not react this way next time. And so that stuff's hard, but it's also beautiful in the process. Yeah, you're a great mom. I love the way you just frame that when you have the ability to be the bigger person or humbly take that step and say that you made a mistake and apologize and own it and then move forward together. I love that you did that. It's so incredible that you did that. One thing that I heard a friend of mine was talking about, there was a book called Parenting the Danish Way, if I'm not mistaken, was the name of the book. And I'm six foot six, so it can be maybe a little bit large in the life of my kid. My kids are seven, five, and four. And I've learned that whenever I need to do an apology and really connect with them, I get down on my knees. So I'm like eye level with them. That's been really helpful for me to connect with them whenever I make a mistake. Cause I used to, I wouldn't say it was yelling in like a shameful and like a mean spirited way. It was more yell, be quiet. I'm on a zoom. I'm working. And that was a big challenge, but we worked through it. And that's what we're all about here in our show is providing hope and a, you can do it too. And sharing our challenges and our stories. I'd love to start to move to the future. And I'd love to just hear what you're up to now and talk about your coaching and just anything that you're doing now that we can learn from. I'd love to give you an open mic and shamelessly self-promote because we have a lot we can learn from some of the things you're sharing. So please, where are we going in the future, Laura? (laughs) Thank you. Well, to go to the future, we kind of have to figure out how it started. So I retired in 2008 because I wanted to be a mom. But then like nine years later, apparently the bug of diving had never left. And I did start dabbling again. And I got back in the pool and we had a lot of ups and downs through this, but I got back in and within six months, I got in second at nationals at 39 years old. <laughs> so, which, you know, in my sport, people retire shortly after college usually. So that was pretty cool. And I thought, okay, well, maybe we could do this again. Like this could be really cool. But we were in the middle of a really tough adoption from Ethiopia. The prime minister was like shutting it down in the country. We were trying to fight to get in there. There was all that going on. We finally get her home. Then I find out I need a two level neck surgery. 
because of all my diving and everything, I had just pretty much messed up my spinal cord. So they had to go in and fix that. And I knew it was going to be a long recovery. I hoped I could get back to diving, but I wasn't sure if I'd be able to because nobody had ever done that on platform before. But I knew I was going to have this downtime. And since I had learned a lot of mental strategies from injuries in my career before, I thought, okay, well, I've got like six months to be down. So let me take some time and think about all these lessons I learned because if I can come back, it's going to help me. So I started like thinking about all the stories that I tell, like all the things, like the big lessons I learned. And I was kind of writing them down. I found there's a lot of themes. And I started kind of putting some of these like groups of things that I was coming up with together. And I was like, you know what? I can teach people how to do this. Like I know there's sports psychologists and stuff, but like I have lessons I can teach that I've learned the hard way, (laughs) you know? So I started putting it all together and I launched this little course as I'm coming back from this neck surgery. I can barely talk and I'm like doing all these videos and I loved it and it was great. And I had some people walk through it from juniors to Olympians to pros and master athletes. It was really cool, small group of people, but they loved it. And I loved teaching them that. But then I got back in the pool and I kind of like let it go. And I off and on over the COVID, like let me tell you, it was a tumultuous like five years back in the pool. But after this last year being out, I really wanted to kind of focus on maybe restarting that course again. And in the meantime, I had people asking me, hey, can I just have a session with you, like a mentor session? Let me just talk with you about some things. And so I was like, okay, let me figure out a way to do that on my website or whatever. And so I started talking to people and then more people from my team started joining and then other people were asking for it. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to do some one-on-one coaching. And it was really encouraging. And I was pulling from a lot of the stuff that I had in my course and my own experiences. And I was just getting great feedback from it. And so I want to relaunch the course again as well. And so it's kind of this ongoing thing that I'm learning. And I feel sometimes that I've done things backwards and tried to get it out there, but it's all good. And I had doubt because I put it out there, but then I never grew it. So I thought, well, is it really any good? But I wasn't consistent. Like that was the big difference I had in my sporting career is I was consistent there every day, pushing it every day, all the little things. I've never done that on the business side. And so now I'm in the season of, okay, I have time to be consistent and push this forward and see where we can go. I know it is good. I don't need to listen to that little voice inside my head telling me, well, there's only a small group of people who've done it. But that small group of people had really, really good success with it. So I need to be confident in what I'm teaching and move Mm -hmm. forward and and try to really grow this. And so I'm excited now to have a business goal and learn like how to do this as I did from the pool. Like I'm taking my lessons now and I'm teaching myself how to do that in business. And so it's kind of, it's exciting again to have like a new goal, to have a new avenue to put all this passion out in because I love helping people. I love coaching people. It's been really fun and really cool to see them kind of like some little light bulbs turn on and they make a difference. And then we talk again and they tell me about the things they were able to implement and how it changed and how excited they are now. And it's just cool. You know, people go from being terrified to being excited from frustrated to opportunity optimistic. It sounds so little, but those are really big changes in your perspective. And that changes everything moving forward. Well, certainly your impact on the diving world is felt, your impact as a parent is felt, and your impact is slowly and maybe quickly growing in the business world. I can tell you that immediately when we started to watch some of your old videos, when we started to watch some of your old videos, from like three to six years ago. I loved them instantly this morning. And I'm sure that any type of business videos or coursework or coaching, I'm sure it's gonna be met with great open arms. I'm curious, what type of goals might you have, Laura, in your business, if you can share? You're growing a business. You try your best, but I have to tell people a lot of times, I think balance is a unicorn. I mean, as an elite athlete, like if you want to get really good, you got to put all your eggs in one basket. You've got to be very into that and you've got to go above and beyond the call of duty to 
excel. And so that's difficult when you're raising a family, but you still have these big goals in your work life, you know? And so trying to figure that out is a little tough, but my kids are my priority. So I'm working hard to grow the business. I'm working hard to figure out the back end of the business and all of this kind of thing and how to market it. And as you do, as you're learning how to grow a business, but we were just talking earlier, like we've had sick kids. And so you just have to not do something for a day or drop everything and go pick them up from school or whatever it is. And so that's hard sometimes, but you really just do the best that you can. And then you pick up where you left off. I have a great friend, an old teammate, actually, Gretchen Deere. I just had her on my podcast. She's now the president of business operations for the Houston Rockets, the NBA team. And I was asking her the same question, like, how are you this amazing C-suite person, but yet you're a mom of twins in high school with all these activities. Like, how do you do it? And she described it perfectly. She said, it's like we're juggling all these balls. Some balls are rubber, some balls are glass. And just don't drop the glass ones. You know, and she said, on one day in time, like my kids and their activity, it's that important that they're the glass ball. And this meeting is rubber and it can bounce and it can change and we can wait. But some days that meeting is really important and the kids activity really isn't a big priority for them or for us. So that's rubber and this is glass. So you just have to know what the glass balls are and just don't drop those. (laughs) I think that was just the perfect description. Oh, what an amazing analogy. It makes me wonder when you're growing a business and you're very involved with the family, I wonder how you and your husband develop your communication system around, you know, when kids get sick or when there's a heavy inflow of requests for your time with business. I mean, how do you and he communicate when sometimes you may have a glass or rubber ball over here and he may think it's rubber or glass over here? You just have to keep talking. And like, it's really funny because now like what I do is communicate. I was a terrible communicator a while back and my husband has helped me like, okay, don't shut down. You can't just walk away and get mad and then explode three days later. Like you have to talk to me. And so we've been married 20 years now. So we've learned to communicate together well. And his job, I mean, he's a pastor, so he is always involved in people. It's never within the hours that it's supposed to be. It's always putting out fires or helping someone here. So our schedule tends to get crazy and we can't plan it very well, which makes things very challenging, but it forces us to communicate really, really well. And I have to say, this is really important. I cannot miss this. Can you be here? You know, or do I need to call in a neighbor or a friend? Because our parents don't live close by. So we always have to be in that constant communication. We try to plan out the week, but like every night we're saying, okay, what's tomorrow look like for you? What's tomorrow look like for you? Let's map that out. Who's got this? Who's got this? And so we have to work together on a very regular basis to keep that flowing. And it was like that when I got back in the pool, we were trying to put everything into my commitment to making another run at the Olympic Games as a 40 year old mom of four. And so I had gotten a sponsor and I was able to support us as a family. And so he was working part-time as a swim coach at the time and really being full-time dad to the kids. And so we would high fives after my training and he would go coach and, you know, we would switch off back and forth, but it always involved just really good communication. And we feel it when we don't do it well, we feel the results of that. So it forces us to communicate well, which is great for our relationship too. It's like there's a symphony and you just played an amazing note right there. I love the way you talk about how you and your husband communicate. And it's so authentic to feel your energy talking about it. Sometimes that's a sore spot for people on the show. And I appreciate that you're able to talk so openly and it feels really positive the way you guys communicate. So thank you. I love to start to move towards the last couple of questions. Let's fast forward in time and look at some point in the future, say it's 10 years down the road. We don't know exactly what's going to happen, but if things go well, what might your legacy be or what might you want it to be as a business owner, as a mom, as a spouse? 
that's going to be a good little activity for me to do after we get off this call. But really, I think, what is that saying? There's one like people don't always remember what you say, but they remember how you made them feel. And I guess that's really as I'm coaching people, my goal isn't to just give some great advice and then they go do great things. Like I want to teach people how to think for themselves and how to take hold of these tools I'm giving them so that they can be this for themselves, that they won't need a coach. Like they'll, I'll work myself out of a job, you know, it doesn't sound great financially, but like, that's what I want. I want to help people and equip people and empower people so that they are confident and they can go out and do these things. And I guess really that's maybe it's not some big fancy legacy name and lights like you would think Olympic champion, but like, I just want to equip people to do these amazing things. I actually just interviewed my longtime coach. He's been my coach for 30 years, uh, my diving coach. I interviewed him for my podcast, which is coming out on my birthday soon, but he had such an impact on our team. Like he wasn't just a coach. Like he cared about so much of us like individually as people. And we have gone on as a group of people to be wildly successful. I just mentioned my friend Gretchen is, you know, the president of business operations of the Rockets. I've got another friend who's a colonel in the army, other friends that are wildly successful in other areas. Like it's amazing. And I think it's because this coach We came from different varying backgrounds, but we had this coach that was the same for all of us. And he cared about each one of us so deeply where we were at and didn't care if our goals were the Olympics or college or just to make a meet. Like he was going to help us be the best that we could. And he cheered us on every step of the way. And he enabled us to be these great people in life, these champions in life. And I really want to give people that because it made such an impact on me that that's what I want to give back to people, you know, and that's not a legacy of a name and lights, but that's something you give to people that last their whole lifetime. I love the way that you started this by sharing that they don't remember what you say as much as how you you make them feel. And then the great story about a coach that had a lasting impact. And that's what we do as coaches and leaders is is help them feel a certain way so it can last. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm full just uh, hearing you say that. It's great to hear that. Laura, thank you so much for being with us. How might our listeners find out more about Laura Wilkinson, what you're up to? My new kind of brand name is Pursuit of Gold. So pursuitofgold.com, you'll find my podcast on there where I talk to athletes, coaches, experts, amazing people, incredible stories, not just empowering athletes, but I'm telling you, like, and sports is such a great metaphor for life. Like it will impact you in phenomenal ways, but that's where all my courses, all my services and things like that can be found too. I'm on Instagram is really where I live on social media, Lala the Diver, but you can also look up Laura Wilkinson and I'm growing the Pursuit of Gold page also. So please go check me out there slide into my DMs. I love to have a conversation. Awesome. Thanks so much, Laura. We appreciate you and look forward to uh, watching you over time. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Eternal Optimist podcast. You can check the show notes for information about today's episode. And please share the show with that friend who is wanting to think bigger. We'll see you next time.